Before we go into the Word, I want to do what we call the pastoral prayer, and I want to read to you from 1 Chronicles 16, not because that's our text from Scripture, but it guides us and lead us, leads us into worship. Sing to the Lord all the earth, David said. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, all things that we put our trust in. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. David's bringing the Ark of Covenant into the tabernacle. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, faith church. Families, individual families. Individuals, ascribe to the Lord salvation. Sing of His, de- sing of his salvation day to day. Yeah. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Amen? Amen. Oh, that, that's so much better. And then, and then David finishes this song. Say also, save us, O God, of our salvation. Gather and deliver us from among the nations who are seeking to kill them. That we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And this is how it ends. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And so I'm going to just cry out to God in prayer. And when I'm done, if you agree with me, if you want to say, me too, truly, may it be, would you shout or declare amen with me? Father in heaven, I pray that you would please come and work. Father, we call you Father, and it's an amazing thing, and we call you Father because you have adopted us as your children through Jesus Christ, and when you look at us, you see Jesus, because we are united to Him, Him in us and we in Him. Oh, Father, thank you for that. That is mercy from you. You loved your Son that you gave him that we would have everlasting life, all who believe in Him. Oh God, we come to You, Father. We come with praise and adoration. You are our salvation. You are our rock. You are our refuge. You are the all glory and splendor in this universe. Everything that is worth praising and glorying in and delighting in and desiring is in You, Father. We thank You that You are worthy of praise and majesty, and Your Son, Jesus, at the name of Him, all will bow and call Him Lord someday. Father, oh God, I pray that the people in here would do so in obedience now and not in trembling and judgment later. Oh God, I pray this morning that You would give us grace. We come to You confessing our sins. We are unworthy of Your mercy and of Your steadfast kindness, and yet we hoped, we hoped to believe that You'll give it to us because we believe the promise of the Gospel that in Jesus Christ we are saved based on His blood being shed for us and for all who sins of anger and of complaining. We confess our sins of idolatry, of loving other things including money and possessions and comfort, 
and securities that are apart from you and resting in those things rather than you. Oh God, we confess our sins of not loving you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind at all times. We do not love our neighbors as ourself. We do not see the people that annoy us the most, are the most frustrating to us, or have hurt us as the neighbor that we are called to lay down our lives and love. Oh God, we can't do any of that without your help, and so we ask that you'd give it to us. There are so many things that we would ask you for. We ask that you would take this hour service and then the meeting between and the service after, and you'd do way more than anything just scheduled. We ask that your spirit would come and and tune our hearts to sing your praise. Oh God, I pray that you would come and open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Unite our hearts to fear your name and satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Oh God, I pray that you would be with all the members and all the attenders and all the visitors, all that would come in this church now and through this year. And I pray that they would come to know and love and cherish Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be a people as we go into this fall season, not knowing what will happen with COVID-19 or elections or, or our country or our world or our lives or our family or our jobs, but we choose you, Jesus. We choose Christ over comfort. We want to praise him over the praising of lesser things. Oh God, for that to happen, you need to open our eyes to see how good He really is because He is, but our hearts are darkened far too often by our sin and the power that's in this world. Oh God, this morning, open Your Word to us that we might love our neighbors ourselves. Would You come and help those who are sick, discouraged, brokenhearted, and crushed? Be with those that are rejoicing. I pray that they would rejoice in the right things and thank You and I pray that their faith would grow. I pray that you'd make us a praying people. I pray that we'd pray night and day for things that would glorify you. But specifically, we'd go after you for things like the salvation of those that come here regularly but are not yet assured or do not know you. I pray that you would bring salvation to mothers and fathers and children, teens, adult children, neighbors, co-workers classmates, friends, distant relatives. Oh God, I pray that you'd put their names and their souls as a burden in our hearts. Give us an evangelistic fire. Help us to believe and see the gospel at work. Oh God, I pray for the nations. I pray that you would bring glory to the nations of Afghanistan and India and China and Cameroon and South Africa, and Tanzania, and Brazil, United Kingdom, and Canada, and Mexico, and Honduras, and Colombia, and everywhere in between, O oh Father. I pray for those that are being persecuted for righteousness' sake in North Korea, and Iran, and especially in Near East Asia, and in Indonesia, Oh God, I pray that you'd be with our brothers and sisters and give them courage. And I pray that we would not complain of the little things that we face, oh God, but instead we would take all our pains and anxieties up to you. God, we ask that you'd meet us now. We trust that you will because you are good. 
You always feed your children. You care for us way more than we could ever care for our children. In Jesus' name. Well, there's a lot of places you could turn because we're going to be in several passages. My sermon is about loving your neighbor. Uh, we could, I'd invite you to turn at least three places. So how's that for you? Uh, you could turn to Romans 13.8. Romans 13.8 is where I'm going to begin. Last week we were in Matthew 22.37, so you could go there. Matthew 22.37, if you're a note taker. And I encourage you to take uh, the sheet that you got when you walked in and Jim or Riker gave you a sheet. You could take that and use that extra. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of the black Bibles that are in one of the chairs. And, and if you don't have one, take it and keep it. We'd love for you to use it and make use of it. The Bible changes our lives. It is our authority. It is the very Word of God. And we would love for you to have it. Um, so I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture in a minute, but I want to ask a few questions to you this morning. We're in uh, the second week of Ten Commandments, kind of part two as we come back into it. Last week I talked about loving God with all our heart, and this week I want to talk about loving, loving our neighbors ourselves. Who in your life, who in your life today, whether it be your family, your church, your work, your neighborhood, your school, maybe somewhere I haven't mentioned, who among them annoys you? You say, no one annoys me, Pastor. Yeah, probably not. Who has questioned your motives or has treated you poorly? Who has violated your trust in him or her? Who is it that you can just barely stand? Uh, maybe not at all. I want you to think about the people in your life now. Not just those categories, just in general. Think of the people in your life. Think about those in this room. Those that you'll see right after the service that will come in for the members meeting or the second service. Or who are home, those that are, are, are watching live stream. Think of your friends, the ch your church, your work, your family, those people at McDonald's that you see, or Leo's, or Speedway, or Sam's Club, or Myers, or Home Depot, or Planet Fitness, your work. What's your responsibility to them? Is it like Cain? What am I? I'm not my brother's keeper. Well, let's see what the scriptures say. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one. Do not be in debt to anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Here's the word. It's a, it's a phrase. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does no wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Or we saw in Matthew 22... Our responsibility toward all those people I just mentioned 
Jesus answers it this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I'm going to invite you to turn to one more passage. Galatians 5. Paul's letter to Galatians, Galatians 5, verse 13. Paul tells the church who have been saved, rescued, freed from their sin, bought by the blood of Jesus, are now disciples. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for your selfishness. Don't use your freedom. You're saved. You're free. You're going to heaven. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to give you four clarifying things about loving your neighbor as yourself. They're on the out they're in your outline, the back of the bulletin. Here they are. Number 1, at the heart of God's moral law. Loving neighbor hits at the heart, the very core of God's moral law. We say the 10 commandments. Hitting the heart and if it's hitting the heart of the law of God, That means it's showing us the very heart and nature of God. God is love, and He calls you to love others. You ask the question, why would God say the summing of all the law is to love Him and to love our neighbor as ourself? He wants to reveal who He is and His character. And we grow to understand by His commands that of all things that He could have said to us, He must say to us, because of its very nature, you shall love the people that are in your life. Let's not miss this in the midst of our religious activity. We could come to church on Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday, or small group. You could serve God in whatever it might be. You might be full of this fury of a lot of religious or spiritual activity, Bible studies, having your devotions, helping out somebody, doing all these things. And we can run by and forget vital at the heart of God's law and what He wants for us. And that is the people that you bump into on your way to serving God and they're the annoyance as you go to serve God (laughs) are your duty. There's a joke and it goes like this. Pastoring would be easy if it weren't for people. And there are some pastors that will say, 
I, I love the ministry, I just don't love people. That would be a really bad thing for any pastor to Christian to say, I love serving the Lord, but if it weren't for people. Because you see, people are the are, are the people that we are called to do ministry in our worship to our God. We are called to love others. That is the very nature of God, and He has called us at the very heart of His law to love others. Jesus, towards the end of His ministry, before He goes to the cross, He gives con- woes or damnations or condemnations to all of the Pharisees that were the hypocrites. And He says, Woe to you Pharisees. You tithe like the most meticulous detail. You'll, you'll take your herbs and you'll, you'll tithe those. You'll make sure everything to the, to the last degree. And he says, now, by the way, you should do that. He says, but you, you ignore the weightier matters of the law. And he says, the weightier matters of the law, you neglect justice towards your b- brother and sister. To the poor. You you show partiality and injustice. You neglect mercy. You should show mercy instead of condemnation and judgmentalism and harshness and a loyalty. You strain out a gnat, he says, while swallowing a camel. You see, when God saves a people... That's one of the first that, that's the first one of the first marks of him truly causing his life to be in us. You remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about the new covenant. He said, I'll put my law within your heart. I'll put well, could it be that if God's law is love, when God puts his law in our hearts, he's going to start putting love to him and love to others in our hearts. So that when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Now concerning bro- need for anyone to even write to you about this, to tell you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love one another. If you're saved, you love people to some degree. Not like you need to, and that's why Paul says, I pray that your love would abound more and more with all discernment and all knowledge so that you may prove what is best. But it is a nature of a new of a Christian that love starts to well in our hearts. Or John says, "Beloved, let us love one another." This is First John four. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The logic: if you don't love, you don't know God, and you're not born of God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, do you just hear this first clarifying word on loving your neighbor? We, it, is, it is big. It is central. It is crucial and vital to the law of God, His moral character. If I, that's so that Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so that I could remove mountains, if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
For this is the summing up of the law and the prophets. More on that verse to come. So number one, loving neighbor hits at the very heart of God's moral law. Number two, loving neighbor means pursuing what's best for your neighbor even at great cost. Loving your neighbor, this is now getting to what it means. Loving your neighbor means pursuing what's best for your neighbor, even at a great cost. Many years ago, a friend of mine I served with, Dave, gave a definition of love. It stuck with me, and I still love it. True love is the affectionate pursuit of what's best for somebody. When I love somebody, if I love, my, if I love you as a pastor, I am going to have a heartfelt desire to pursue what's best for you. Not just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what God's Word says and warn you. Just like if I'm a loving doctor, I'm going to tell the truth to my patient to help them, even if it's not what he wanted or she wanted to hear. Parents love their children by pursuing what's best for them, not what they in their immaturity demand or want. Loving isn't being nice. Loving is being truly wise and pursuing that which is really good for them. This passage says we are to love our neighbor as ourself. We all want what's best for ourselves. We don't always like ourselves, but we still care for ourselves. We sometimes are frustrated and even feel like I almost hate myself for the way I've acted. And yet we, the Bible says we are to love ourselves, love love our neighbor as ourselves, because ourselves, we, there is a type of loyalty that is put innately within ourselves that we do pursue what we think, at least, in our limited knowledge is best. And oh, Christians, this command that we are called to, to love our neighbor as ourself, this golden rule that says, as you would wish that others would do to you, do also to them, which is another way of saying it. It's called the golden rule. We are to do. Love is the pursuit of what's best for others. Let me ask you this. You have literal neighbors. Some of them are not Christians. They're not. What is truly best for them? There is nothing more important than for them to come and to know Jesus Christ as a Savior to them and have a personal relationship. There's nothing more important than your children to know Christ. There's nothing more important than your brother and sister in this room or anywhere in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that immediately that's the only thing that we go after. We never care for anybody's physical needs, including our children, and we just evangelize them. Surely that's not what we do. But everything is with the aim and goal that I want to love them truly and deeply and care about the big picture. And what I care more than anything is what's best for them is that they come to know the God who made them, who died, who sent His Son to die on the cross, who gave the gospel that whoever believe in Him, they will be rescued into a new relationship with Him. That is what is best for all people. Parents, it means loving God and leading your children in a culture of the Lord in all of life. It means that evangelism matters to us, our friends, and we pray for them. It means that the people that you, walk, you come across, 
you look at them and you realize you have a duty and responsibility. You, we have limitations, and this doesn't mean that we have the same obligation to everybody at the same energy level. God has put us into different orbits of life, and we have certain stewardships. But everyone that comes across our path, we are called to love them, and we are at least to care for their truest good. That's what love is. That is loving our neighbor as ourself, as we would want them to care for us. Oh, how that would be different as we drive by the highway and see people that annoy us because they cut us off, realizing they're my neighbor and I need to love them. More on that in just a minute. It means we give to missions because we are growing to love our neighbors in India or Cameroon, or Brazil, the United Kingdom, or the Ukraine, or other parts of the world. It means we show hospitality to one another. It means we ask how you're doing, and we listen. And then we respond in seeking to meet their needs. Even if it's, I have nothing to say, but I'm going to go to God and pray for them, and I'm going to check on them, and I'm going to see what I can do. Loving our neighbor requires action. It might be the action of saying, I don't know what's best, but I am going to go to God and I'm going to feel like there's anything I can do, but I care. And if I can show a sympathetic word, if I can express a sympathetic word, if I can show care to one another, we'll do that. Loving our neighbor as ourself it means forgiving our neighbor as we would want God to forgive us. It means forgiving those that have hurt us because, oh, do we want God to forgive us? We do not earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. We, we could never earn God's forgiveness. But if we are to love our neighbors ourselves, we surely want to be forgiven and need to be forgiven because of our sins and failures. Oh, we must forgive others. There's, there's a lot of places we could take this command of its very nature. Of, but I, I said this in this, I said loving neighbor means pursuing what's best for your neighbor, your children, all, all that are in your life, pursuing what's best for them, even at great cost. Even at great cost. Jesus said, after washing his disciples' feet, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. A new commandment? We've been told the he says, it's a new commandment because I'm telling you to love one another as I have loved you. You are to go and you're going to see how I will lay down my life for you. The kind of love that God has called us to neighborly love, whether that be, I'm going to talk about that in the next point, who that might be. But the, the people that we are called, those that are our neighbors, we are to love them with sacrificial love. That means generous love with our time, our money, and our energy. That means helping out even at great expense. It means viewing them as though they really were your own children or family. 
and your responsibility because God in heaven has called you to love them. Oh, that God would help us. There's a lot to say in this, this second point. I pray that I'm thankful for the loving spirit of faith, church. I hear it often, and I feel it often as a pastor. I feel your love to me, and I see your love to other people. This is not one of those sermons that I'm sitting up here pounding the pulpit and saying, you need to start because you just stink at it. That can be true at some churches, and it can be true in your life at some moments of your life, and we just need. As Paul regularly would say, I pray that your love would abound more and more. That you would take, if, if, if God is in you and loves, you love Him and He loves you, you'll hear today the Word of God and say, I need to start thinking in a bigger perspective what's really best for people. Not just this temporal, short-term idea. I need to care for people with that. All my touches, all my interactions, I care about the big picture. I want them to know Jesus, and I want to grow to know Jesus more. And God, prepare me. Prepare me to be sacrificial. When I see somebody with a need, I'm really willing to let my life get tighter in my finances because I'm going to care for that person. I'm going to care for that ministry in the church. I'm going to care for those missionaries. I'm going to care for that coworker or that neighbor who's in great need. Oh God, would God help us in that? Here's the third thing I want you to see about loving neighbor. Loving neighbor means loving everyone God puts across your path. When I say this, I don't mean love, we can love everybody the same. There's a certain responsibility that you have for your children, husbands to your wives, wives to your husband, families to each other, and churches to each other. But Loving your neighbor means still that we love everyone God puts across our path. One of the most famous parables is the Good Samaritan. We even have laws named after it. The Good Samaritan laws. Jesus had just said loving your neighbor is a fulfillment of the law in Luke 10. And so a man desiring to justify himself said to Jesus... So, who is my neighbor? This is Jesus' answer. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Priest, passed by the other side, doesn't help him. Supposed to be a godly man. So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. He was of the tribe of priests, and he didn't do anything. But a Samaritan, from a half-breed, somebody that was an untouchable to Jews, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound him up up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he set him on his own animal, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus looks at this man that's trying to justify him and said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said to the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and do 
likewise. Everyone who God puts across your path is your neighbor. That is your friends and your enemies. Your neighbor down the street, Republicans and Democrats, members of our church and those that are anti-church, your children and your parents, your brothers and sisters, your pastor and deacons and Sunday school teachers, your mailman and your delivery guy or gal, your waitress and cashier, coworkers and boss, your employees and customers, your Facebook friends and Instagram followers, the person who cuts you off the road and vents out of anger, the person with different political views than you, the racist and the bigot, the godly and the mature, the hypocrite and self-righteous, the tattooed and pierced, the conservative and old-fashioned, the one who gives you, who, who ignores you or dislikes you, the one who, everyone, God puts in your life. Every, you see, God made them in His image. And when you love them, it's a way of loving God. All, even your enemies. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. They got it all wrong. That's not the law. He's saying it got twisted. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you might be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Because that's the way He is. Realize every, anybody that becomes a Christian was an enemy first. Every single Christian, Christ follower, was an enemy of God. And Jesus said, enough, I'm going to make you my beloved son or daughter. So go and do likewise. Everyone in our life that God puts in our lives, we must view through the eyes that they are a neighbor, that I need to care about their best, if the very least pray and have sympathy for them. And if God allows, actually speak and give great, cost to them. That means, that means that those in India, those that are in Cameroon, those that are in China, in North Korea, in other lands, we're going to have missions focus in, the, in a couple weeks. They are our neighbors. And if I said that loving your neighbor is at great cost, that's why God calls people to the mission field. It calls you away from grandchildren, or it calls calls you away from grandparents. It calls people away from the opportunities and comforts because they, they see God and love Him and they see their calling to love their neighbor and God puts it in their heart and they go and they give and they surrender in love to those who are enemies of God that they might become His children. The last thing I want to say Loving neighbor requires loving God foremost. Loving your neighbor requires your loving God foremost. Foremost meaning, and I want to say that meaning first and most importantly, most centrally. You love your neighbors, you love your children, you love the hard people, you love those in this church, you love each other, you love your difficult family member. Because you love God. Life to love your neighbors is loving God. The fuel of loving 
those difficult and easy to love people, but really to love them at great cost. The kind of love that keeps you up at night, makes you go on a long drive, roll up your sleeve, get dirty, lose money, not be able to go out, have the expenses, that you, the enjoyments you have because you give and are sacrificial, comes from an internal heart for God. Loving neighbor requires loving God foremost. And we love neighbor because He, God, first loved us. We love neighbor as a way of loving God. We love neighbor because, well, because we love God, we love all who are made in the image of God. And we see them as people that God has put in our lives, as opportunities to speak to us and to speak through us. By this we know that he lay, this, by this we know love, John says, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Oh, the foundation of our loving him foremost is always the fact that he loved us. You know the parable of the good Samaritan? You know the Samaritan that comes who, who are we really in the picture of the Good Samaritan? The story of him taking this two, he's helpless. That's us. That is us in the story. We have the story of the man that was on the way and was beat up by robbers, laying destitute. And the great shepherd of our soul came and rescued us, cleaned our wounds, picked us up, supplied all our needs, brought us to safety, and gave us a secured future. And he says, go do likewise. That is why Paul will write to us through the Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, when he says, be imitators of God. Be like Dad. As beloved children. You're a loved child, be like Dad. And then he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. The fuel in which I can love you and you can love me. The fuel that we receive and without which we cannot do it in the way that we need to, to love your neighbor and to love the difficult people, the annoying people, to forgive the only way we can get the fuel is to invite you to the love of Jesus. If you've never been fully assured of His love for you, of dying on the cross, and saving you from your sins, Jesus Christ did. Oh, I pray that you would receive Him by calling on Him and entrusting your soul to Him today. And then you can know He will give that in your heart that you are loved by Him and He is committed to you. It is the foundation for all other love. I want to to conclude with this. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to sing a final song. I want want you to hear this story from a book I read this this spring called Gilead. It's a story of a pastor giving advice to his, his son that his son will read when he grows up because this man is dying. And he writes this. This is really helpful. There is an important thing which I have told many people in which my father told me in which his father told him. Good advice. When you encounter another person, when you have dealings with anyone at all, it is as if a question is being put to you. 
so you must think, so you're dealing with somebody that comes across your life, what is the Lord asking of me in this moment, in this situation? Let us ask that. If you, must, if you confront insult or antagonism towards you, your first impulse will be to respond in kind. But if you think, as it were, this is an emissary, emissary sent from the Lord, and some benefit is intended for me, first show that I do in some degree participate in the grace that saved me, you're free to act otherwise than in circumstances that would seem to dictate. You're free to act by your own lights. You're freed at the same time of the impulse to hate and resent that ugly person that treated you such. He would probably laugh at the thought that the Lord sent him to you for your benefit and his but that is the perfection of this disguise, his own ignorance of it. God is at work. God, I pray that you would help us to love you, to know your love, that we may love our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.